morning. My name is Ryan. If you're new, we're so glad you're here. Actually, if you're new or if you're a seasoned attender here, we have something for you today. Um, if you're new, we have these little envelopes out on the information table. It's just a thank you. I have it upside down. It's a thank you for coming, and we really do want to thank you for coming. And in that, it's just a little bit of information about this place and some free coffee. Well, the coffee's not in it, but um, the ability to get that coffee is in it. So we'd love for you to take one. If you're new, just go grab one. And uh, we're, just, we're just so grateful you're here. If you've been here for a while, here's what we have for you. We have a meeting after <laughs> the service. We have a little bit of family meeting together uh, just for an update uh, just to give, give you an idea of kind of where we're at, where we're going, um, talk a little bit about children's, all those things that really just take too much time to talk about during the service. So the goal is that I'm going to hurry up. Um, we're going to get done a little earlier um, so that we don't take up your whole day. Um, a couple of announcements. We have a sh- summer shindig happening. Um, it's just a barbecue together um, in early August. Love for you to be there for that. Um, we usually party well around here, so we love for you to be a part of that. Um, and then we also have a baptism service coming up. So if you would like uh, more information about what it looks like uh, to enter just into that uh, baptism uh, life that Jesus calls us, Uh, We'd love to talk to you about that. And so that'll be a special Sunday on July 31st um, as well. So, okay, so anytime within the life of a church uh, community, um, there is always moments where we have transition. And um, you guys have known us, uh, if you've been around this place for a while, you know that um, it happens, that God ends up moving people, um, stirring in people for a new chapter in their lives. Um, We just got done as a church um, sending off uh, a wonderful family, the Miller family, who uh, were a part of our church for about 18 months. And unfortunately, we have to do that again. Um, And so we have um, a family in our church, Gabe and Brooke Nip, who have been a part of our church for a long time. Um, have felt uh, God stirring them to uh, take it for Gabe to take a new job. Um, he is now the assistant to the regional manager. I'm just kidding. Uh, he's the <laughs> I'm not going to get this right. So he's like the big wig uh, second in command of uh, Young Life Communications down in Colorado Springs. And so just started this job. It's been something that's been on the radar, praying about, things like that for many, many weeks, and it is official. And so we're sad, and once again, we're going to have to slash tires um, because we don't like when people leave us, leave our community. And so this is especially difficult um, with just how we don't announce everybody moving and leaving, but this is especially difficult because of how involved the NIPs have been and are in this church. Um, anywhere you look, whether it's children's, women's ministry, leadership, teaching, roadie crew, their hands are in it. Um, and they're just so faithful and so so much of an encouragement um, to me and to Angela and to us as a church. And so we are going to talk a little bit more about that today in our town hall meeting briefly. And then just so you know, we're going to do some more send-off stuff for them. But uh, we're bummed. And, uh, but we're, we're excited 
at the same time for what God's doing in their lives. So um, I'm not going to make them come up here and say anything and um, get anything thrown at them, but um, just wanted to let you know as a church that that's just another transition that we're experiencing here this morning um, and in this season. So, um, But God is good and God is faithful, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. So will you do me a favor? Will you stand up and say hi to someone next to you, and um, we'll get going. All right, um, we also need to take a moment and talk a little bit um, just as a church community about the events that have happened in our country this week, and I think it's important that we do so. Um, one of the things you need to know is as a community here in Arvada, as a collection of churches here in Arvada, we're very serious about our engagement with the community um, We're a part of a group of churches called City Unite, and we're very much um, involved in um, supporting our services, our city services. And um, there is a letter on the back of your program, if you got one today, um, from our police chief here in Arvada. And I think it's just a really important, really well-written, um, thoughtful letter um, that he has asked uh, pastors in the community to distribute to our church. Um, and, and, and so that's on one end of it. On the other end of it, um, as we've watched the news this week and, um, you know, the reality is we live in a pretty, we, we have a, a different um, perspective. We have a different um, uh, experience, many of us, um, in, in where we live and how we've grown up and our economic status, um, our race. And so there's things that we don't fully understand um, the way other people are experiencing them. And I think that one of the difficult things in our nation right now is a quickness to assume and to have assumptions and to make judgments on how people should feel and do feel based on things that are happening in our country. And so what I want to do is I want to really call us as a church to kind of zoom back out and instead of looking at these individual situations that have happened over the last year and a half, um, and then this situation with the police in Dallas, this heartbreaking stuff, all we can agree, all across the board, it's been heartbreaking. How do we as a church play a part in healing? How do we, how do we play a part in, uh, in, in lamenting what's happening uh, for people. And so you can have opinions, you can have um, assumptions. My, my hope is, is that us as a, as a community, that we would begin to realize what it means to be peace, peacemakers. And, and to do that requires more of us than we really realize. Um, to do that means that we need to uh, press in more and not pull away that we need to um, be, be able to uh, seek more understanding than we have from our lives, from our experiences, um, and, that, and not write people off, um, and that we need to find a way to just give respect um, to people as best we can. And I think that one of the things the, um, that we have, uh, one of these... Uh, pieces of scripture that I think is really important for us as followers of Jesus to, to lean into is a, a, a scripture out of 2 Corinthians. Um, and it says this, for Christ's love compels us, Paul writes, because we are convinced that one 
One died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, and that those who uh, live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And I think that's really clear. you got to hear that. From now on, because of what Christ has done, we regard nobody with the lenses that we used to regard them by. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, okay? The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we we actually have a job to do here. We can't sit on the sidelines. We we have to holster our Facebook anger. (laughs) Okay? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And it says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Listen to this. As though God was making his appeal through us. And so in times like this, um, which these events seem so far away, seem so out of our control, and they are, uh, we still have a part to play. And it's our conversations with each other. It's our conversations over social media. It's our choosing to step into the, the, the hurt and the pain that people are experiencing and really lament and not write people off. And I think that's really important for us as a church. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are trying to learn what it means to become people of reconciliation. And with all the pain that's happened, we pray for the officers in in this city, this nation. We pray that there would be hearts changed amongst officers who are um, bitter and angry frustrated. We pray for a peace that would happen in this nation that hasn't seen in years. We pray that this would be a country that start to believe the best about each other. And God, we pray for the rhetoric and the divisiveness in this country to change. And we pray that it starts with the people of God. And so God, do what you need to do in us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. What's interesting is uh, how how, uh, really fortuitous this message is today because um, we're in a spot in Ruth um, that if you're just joining us, um, (laughs) we're in Ruth chapter 2. And we're, we're kind of slowly chewing on this story this summer. And, and we do this in the summers a lot. We, we take a narrative in the Old Testament and, and we kind of go through it, really sink our teeth into it. And, and this year we're doing Ruth. And, and I think the timing of the series, the timing of this message is really important because, you know, with what our country is going through, but also this idea of kindness today. And when we use the word kindness, a lot of times we think of a really kind of syrupy, like uh, Sesame Street kind of thing. Um, And and this word we're actually going to unpack today is much bigger than that. 
Um, as some of you know, this series, it, it takes place, this story takes place in a time where the Bible says uh, everybody did as they, as they wanted. Everybody did as they saw was right in their own eyes. And, and really, if, if you take that into account, um, if, if I'm doing something that I think is right in my own eyes, chances are it's not going to benefit you and vice versa. And it seems to me we're kind of still living in one of those times, right? I mean, if you just zoomed out on our country and on our world right now, it is very divisive. It is very, um, how do you benefit me? If you don't benefit me, you're not a part of me. And so this is a, a, a time, okay, in this story that, it, that if you were to zoom out in the book of Judges, everybody was doing as they thought was right in their own eyes. Everybody was out for themselves. But when we zoom in on this story, it's a very peculiar story because it actually is uh, unveiling what people are supposed to be like, what, who God really is. And I think it's important for us because a lot of times people look at this love, as a love story and, and maybe as a marriage enrichment story, and they go, man, I wish my husband was more like Boaz. Um, and then the husband's like, oh, yeah, well, I really wish you were more like Ruth. So, you know, two can play at that game. And, and there's this kind of like maybe these are just marriage principles or maybe this is just about romance, but, but it's not. This is a brutal time. Okay, And there, I think there's a danger in leaving it as a romantic story, a, a powerful biblical love story, though it is. Um, Naomi is paralyzed in her grief as she arrives back in Israel. And Ruth is following behind her, trusting in the provision of a God that she doesn't know. Trusting in the provision of a people that she doesn't know, but she's hitched her wagon to them in her covenant to Naomi. And it just so happened, as we talked about last week, it just so happened that she began to glean, I mean, she's following behind the harvesters in a field that belonged to a man named Boaz, and Boaz just so happened to be part of the family of Naomi. And it just so happened that Boaz's mother was Rahab in the Old Testament. And so we have these two widowed women, now we have Boaz. And the story will continue here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to this. At this time, she bowed down with her face to the ground. And this is in response, okay? This is in response because Ruth has just been giving just lavish, uh, uh, free reign, really, of gleaning in this field. And she's met the, the man who owns the field. And he has heard about her. And then he says, I want you to follow behind the harvesters, and I want you to drink from the, the water that the men draw, and, and really, I want to I really give you everything to succeed here, okay? And, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Remember, every single time she's mentioned in this book, she's mentioned as Ruth the Moabite, and we talked about what it means to be a Moabite. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come home to take refuge. 
He's basically saying, I've been told about your kindness. I've been told about your treatment of your mother-in-law. I've been told about who you are. I've been told about this hidden quality in you that hasn't been seen in Israel for a long time. And you're a foreigner. (laughs) And you're actually not supposed to embody this quality. And so what was this kindness that that Boaz has heard about? Well, he's heard about this kindness because this is the story he's been told by others. He hasn't heard it right from them. He's been told this story. It's been a story that's spread. And the, and the kindness comes from the chapter before. In verse 16, it says, but Ruth replied. This is when Naomi was trying to convince Ruth to go back to her country. Just go back. Just don't hitch your wagon to me. And it says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, will, there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if even death separates you and me. And so it says that when Naomi was realized that Ruth was determined, she stopped urging her to go back. And there's this, this covenant that Ruth makes with Naomi unknowing what's coming, this kindness that she, she wants to support Naomi. She wants to be with Naomi. And it's this beautiful picture. In fact, this word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. And it's actually pronounced differently, but I'm not going to bore you with that. Uh, we're going to go with the English version, hesed. And this word is a really powerful word. In fact, it's a word that we have a huge amount of difficulty translating into English. You know, for instance, you know, the word love in Hebrew, there's a bunch of different words for the, uh, the word love, and we just have one. And so for us, you could say, well, I love tacos and I love my wife, which have different love meanings, right? Depending on how hungry you are. But the, the point is... You guys just, come on, just, all right, I'm just playing around, okay? So laugh when, even if it's bad, okay? Um, so, so there's different meanings in these, these Hebrew words, and this, this word, hesed, is used 250 times in Scripture. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of scholars translate it kindness, but it's weak. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated with like a a love that has a huge amount of loyalty to it and commitment to it. But we have no word for this. In fact, if you removed this word from Hebrew, the character of God would just fall apart. I mean, it is who God is. And not only is it who God is, it's who God created his people to be. And so this is really just a thread, a fabric within Scripture that is so important that we can't overlook it. Now, what's interesting is I think scholars have always looked at Boaz as being the God figure in the text. But it's actually, um, it's actually Ruth in many ways. Boaz is motivated to show kindness okay, to Ruth. But his motivation to show that kindness is actually a response to Ruth's kindness to Naomi. 
I mean, this kindness that doesn't deserve any, that doesn't deserve anything, um, this kindness that isn't attached to anything, that's, that's what this word really means, this, this unconditional kindness and loyal love presented to Ruth was actually in response to, uh, to her unconditional kindness and love presented to Naomi. And so when we, we look at this figure of Ruth, we're just amazed. Because when we look at the the God figure, God actually moves first in our lives. God actually moves first, and then we respond. And so when we move along here, Boaz responds to her. She's the one that abandons her life to follow Ruth and to love Ruth. And in faith, she does something, which we talked about in the second week. In faith, she does something that is not practical. It doesn't make any sense. It actually looks pretty foolish. And usually that's what faith looks like. It's not necessarily very pragmatic. And he describes her action as being taking refuge under the wing of God. And even though Boaz identifies God as the source of blessing, we we recognize that it's Um, that it's not that God's grace just falls out of the sky on people in need, but actually that it's God that uses people to help people. It's God that God uses, it comes through faithful actions of people like us. That's how it works. It means that our actions have meaning. Everything we do in our day has meaning and can have meaning for people. So just as the grace of God comes through Boaz, we're to be grace to others. And so there's this, this idea here that it's, this is more than a program. This is more than just like, a, hey, we're going we're gonna to do some things here. We're going to set this up. We're going to name it, whatever. This is this idea of living your life in a way that disperses unconditional, undeserved kindness and loyal love to people who don't have a claim on you. It's a hesed. Hesed is this this idea that it's just bigger than just being nice. We have some friends of ours that they were trying to teach their daughter not not to be mean with her hands. You know, you know, kids get, they get kind of, they don't know how to express themselves. And so they're just like, they kind of grab your face, you know, like when you're a parent, they like pinch your face and claw you and stuff. And they'd always say to her, nice hands. Like, like that's not going to work, right? You just tell them, to, you got to have nice, kind hands. Um, and it, so th- that's not what I'm talking about here when I talk about niceness and kindness, This is something way deeper and bigger in Scripture. And then verse 13, it continues. The story continues. It says, may I continue, Ruth says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. Though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. And then at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, okay, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. 
As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Okay, so she's left. She's left the room, and Boaz gives orders to his men. They says, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an epoch. Now, here's the thing that's interesting here. Uh, we talked about the laws of gleaning last week. Boaz is going above and beyond. I mean, he is, he is making room for Ruth that is unprecedented when it comes to being a foreigner gleaning in a field. I mean, he's, he's taking the law and the heart of the law and the spirit of the law and just blowing it open. He's even telling his harvesters, just, you know, you know leave some full ones behind on purpose and, and let, her, let her grab them. And she is, she is bundled up so much grain, 10 times more than would, it would be expected at this point. And she keeps this up. Her and Naomi are going to have enough food for the year. So there's this beginning of hope in, her, in, in their lives. And, and one of the things that I think we would think at this point was, oh, man, they're set. They're in good shape. They're going to have enough food for the year. Well, then what? I mean, this is great news. This is hopeful news. But they're not safe yet. Ruth and Naomi are still widows. Ruth and Naomi are still not protected. I mean, Na- Ruth is protected during daylight hours when she's harvesting, but that's all she's got. I mean, and she's being provided for, and that's great stuff. It reminds me of the sign when you come down I-70, and it tells the truckers that they're not down yet. You know that one? Hey, don't think you're out of the woods yet, trucker. I mean, it's just kind of like that with Ruth and Naomi. They realize at this point, although they've made it most of the way, they've made a huge chunk here, they are not safe yet. It says in verse 18, she carried it back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the, the one place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. It's kind of a change in tune when it comes to Naomi. I mean, just a little while ago, uh, she changed her name to Bitter. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And we're going to talk about that next week. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. What does that mean? It means not just the barley harvest. It means the weed harvest as well, which is coming. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. See, this word has said is, like I said, difficult to translate. 
But we see it all throughout Scripture. In fact, in the book of Psalms, there's this unconditional quality to it, this undeserving quality to it. Listen to this. Uh, I'm just going to read you a few verses. Psalm 36 says, How precious is your loving kindness. How precious is your hesed, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Interesting how that's used here, too. And then in, in Psalm 63, it says, Because of your loving kindness, because of your hesed, is better than my life, my lips will praise you. So the book of Psalms just gives this idea of what it is to have loving kindness, what this loving kindness of God is, it actually states in a number of places that, that the salvation of God is, is rooted in his hesed. It's rooted in his undeserved mercy, his undeserved grace towards us. And then we have the book of Hosea, which you've never read the book of Hosea uh, let me just give you a little taste of what that is. It's a prophet, okay, a guy named Hosea. And, and Hosea is called by God. He's led by God to marry a prostitute, an unfaithful woman who cannot stay faithful to her husband, which seems kind of a bummer. And in all through it, it's basically a picture of God is trying to paint a picture to Hosea, through Hosea to the people of Israel, that the people of Israel are like this woman, not being faithful to God. And so all through Hosea, you have these, uh, the word has said is used. In the second chapter of Hosea, God illustrates the loss of this hesed amongst the people of Israel, meaning they've chosen not to respond to God with their loving kindness. Instead, they are, they're giving foreign gods a credit for everything that God has given them. All the loving kindness that God has given them, they are giving that credit to foreign gods. And so God is bummed. He says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For she, and this is in reference to uh, Hosea's wife and the people of Israel, did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold. And she's forgotten me. She's turned away from me. And there's this idea that God is saying, I've, I've given loving kindness, unconditional favor to the people. And they've turned away. And ultimately, they need to see the bottom. I mean, in, in our lives, when we deal with people who are uh, struggling, and sometimes there's this idea that the best love we can give somebody is to actually let them hit the bottom. And that's what God is preparing the people of Israel for. And he says in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, it says, There is no truth or, or knowledge of God in the land. Meaning, meaning the people are not operating anymore with this loving kindness. And so what I really want to get across to us today is this. This loving kindness that we see in the book of Ruth, this loving kindness that we see all throughout Scripture is not a mood, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's a commitment. 
It's a mindset. People do for other people who have no claim on them. It's something that God has done for us, and we don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor and, and love and grace given us. It's what Ruth shows Naomi. It's what Boaz shows Ruth. It's what Ruth, we'll see next week, shows Boaz. And it's something that's not characteristic of the people of Israel at the time. It says that they did whatever they wanted. They acted however they pleased. And so it's not an emotion. On the one hand, it's this gift of God. It's his character. It's who he is expressed freely to us. And on the other hand, for us, it's a muscle. That if we don't use it, if we don't exercise it, it will become worthless. You, will, you and I have the tendency to, if we don't exercise this loving kindness, we end up becoming religious people with no love for people. We end up becoming, like Jesus called the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, that we look good on the outside, but ultimately spewing from us is nothing really good. It's nothing that's really benefiting anybody else. It's something that I think our culture is really needing because they look sometimes at churches and they say, well, why bother? But this doesn't seem like it's, it's making any difference whatsoever in the world. See, a said can be, it can be defined as mercy and grace, which means it represents an opportunity to demonstrate that we are children of a God who is said. It actually shows that we're actually, uh, that this actually means something, right? And we're stewards of this quality. And it's a quality that, let me, let me just be frank, it's, it's in short supply in our culture. Very short supply. And so it's this loyalty, this faithfulness to people, this, this ability to, to transmit this, this loving kindness that a triune God gives us, uh, lavishes on us, uh, mercy and grace, uh, this, this love that God gave Abraham. He's the God of Isaac and Jacob, and he created everything. And through this expression of this divine trait, okay, God, the God of the Bible maintains and will eventually reconcile everything to himself through us. And he uses us. Like I said before, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the ministers of reconciliation. It is our job. So what is not required of you is just attendance at Christian functions. <laughs> what is required of us is something bigger in fact, did you know that John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that word so loved the world, is actually a root word of hesed. That the big football verse that everybody knows is the same word that we're talking about in the Old Testament. The same word requiring us to participate. The other day I was listening to uh, a podcast and um, it got me on a rabbit trail. It got me on a research mission. And I, I started to read some of the research from a guy named Andrew uh, Newberg, who is a neurotheologian. I know that sounds weird. But this guy, 
I know one guy in this room is going to love this. This guy is a brain scientist, okay? He studies the brain, and um, he does brain scan images of people who believe in God and people who don't. And he, and talking about transformation and, and supernatural uh, things that happen in people's lives religiously. And um, he actually has taken the time to record brain scans of people who follow an, uh, or, or adhere to a model of God who is angry and wrathful and, and, and fear to be feared. And he's taken brain scans of people who believe in a God of loving kindness and grace and mercy. And he says, you would not believe the difference in the two brain scans. And so some of you have grown up maybe in a culture of, of religiosity that has, has, has kind of had you leaning towards this vengeful, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, Old Testament version of God. And, now, and, and without getting into a whole bunch of, of just bridging the gap between the Old and New Testament, um, God is God and God has always been uh, faithful to it doesn't change his mind and his character and so what we see in the New Testament is Jesus being in the flesh God so if you want to know what God is like you will see you look at the words of Jesus and Jesus spends time with uh, crippled and the beggars and the prostitutes and uh, those who are on the outside looking in and that's who God is but along the way and traditions and, and uh, the way people have done church in the past, people have gotten the impression that God is a God of vengeance and wrath. And, and if you step outside the line, that God is going to smite you or, or lightning bolt you or, or whatever. And if you don't obey, that uh, you know, he's going he's gonna to get you. And, and so people have followed that version of God, have a brain scan image that, that really has parts of their brains um, working harder than others. For instance, there's this uh, part of the brain, uh, for those who uh, are, are, are kind of believe in an angry, wrathful, vengeful God, the, the, the amygdala is rocking, okay? That part of your brain that is, uh, thinks about fear and, 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 and is able to do impulse control, I mean, the whole hand in the cookie jar, oh, I can't, you know, that kind of an idea, um, that part of the brain is just on fire. Now, if you believe in a God of love, a God of facet, a God of patience and loving kindness and grace, the part of your brain that experiences empathy and compassion is highlighted in a brain scan. The part of your brain that no longer has to control every part of a conversation or an outcome the part of your brain that gets healthier and biased towards love and more accepting is highlighted. See, I, the, the question really for us, I think in the next 36 hours, because you're going to hear this, in the next 36 hours you're going to go by and then you might just fall back into normal patterns of thinking and behavior. If I was to scan your brain, if you were to scan my brain right now and throw it up on the screen, what would be highlighted? What is the version of God that you've come to know? What is the version of God that you are struggling to 
get away from? What is the version of God that's not accurate? What is the version of God that is defining your behaviors towards other people? What is the version of God that you're missing in regards to the the call to be a people of loving kindness, of open favor, of relentless pursuit of unconditional favor for people who don't deserve it in your life? Is there an impulse in your life that draws the line in the sand and says, well, until you change, until you step over onto my side, until you come to agree with my philosophy of how life should be lived, we're no longer close. Is it, is it, is it your, uh, if, is it your desire to kind of uh, uh, put people in categories that say, well, they're in, they're out. Um, they have a chance of, of coming back into my favor. Um, if, they, if they voted a certain way or if they responded to something a certain way or if they have the same economic outlook that I had, maybe, maybe if they were the same race or religion or creed, maybe, maybe then I would give them my loving kindness. Well, Ruth's a foreigner. Ruth's undeserving. Boaz could have not even shown up at the field. And it's definitely the fact when we blow this picture up, we, why would God even care about us? Why would God even care about me? It says in Philippians that Jesus became nothing for a reason, for us. And because of his becoming nothing and becoming a servant of us, that that is then how we should be towards each other. That this picture in Scripture of a God that is loving and kind, gracious, is actually meant to change us in a way that we respond as ministers of reconciliation to people around us. And so this morning, I think this piece is important because... Um, there's a lot of need for that. There's a lot we can play a part of with that. And so as we close, I just want to respond in prayer. And like I said, the first 36 hours, how do we change the wiring of our own brains? In what way does that have to change for us? 